brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. It's rare these days that Bishop Athanasius, the auxiliary bishop from Kazakhstan whose name sets off some weird problems with our hosts whenever I say his last name, gave an interesting interview with Catholic Family News a day or so ago, and it's eye-opening because he repeats what many of us have been saying about the Synod of Bishops, that it is a break from the history of the Church and how authority in the Church is properly understood. He states his case in a far more eloquent language than I or most of the other Catholic commentators you probably watch have been saying, which is of course typical for Bishop Athanasius, he is far more eloquent than I am. His interview is long, so I'll only present part of it here. I'll have a link to the full interview in today's show notes at returntotradition.org. That's the name of this podcast with a .org at the end. When you're there, look for the post with the same title as this episode, and you'll find the link there. Or just go to Catholic Family News website directly. The interview is worth your time to read in full. But first, I wanted to thank the patrons and channel members for their continued support of the work of Return to Tradition. It is greatly appreciated. For like a dollar a month, they support bringing the news with views to you daily, plus educational content on the weekend. So if you're interested in supporting what goes on here, there's a link in the description box to Patreon, Subscribestar, which is a Patreon alternative, and a couple of other viewer-requested options. Thanks, and on to the interview questions with Bishop Athanasius, who has shown himself to be open to the weakness of the hermeneutic of continuity. He recognizes that there is an underlying flaw with that entire concept, and he does it by showing that much of what we see in the church today cannot possibly be in continuity with what came before, such as the Synod of Bishops itself as a magisterial body. He is even open to criticizing the excesses of Vatican II, as you'll see in this first question that our interviewer asks him. The bishop has asked an important question to start this interview off, and it's about the connections of the Synod to a questionable document issued by Paul VI during the latter days of the Second Vatican Pastoral Non-Binding Council. Quote, Thank you, Your Excellency, for taking the time to conduct this interview. Perhaps we could start by discussing the modern institution known as the Synod of Bishops, which Pope Paul VI established towards the end of the Second Vatican Council, via his apostolic letter, Apostolica Solicitudo, issued September 15, 1965. Therein, Paul VI wrote of his conviction about the, quote, necessity and importance of making ever greater use of the bishop's assistance in providing for the good of the universal church, end quote. It was Vatican II, he says, which gave him the idea of permanently establishing a special council of bishops, with the aim of providing for a continuance after the council of the great abundance of benefits that we have been so happy to see flow to the Christian people during the time of the council as a result of our close collaboration with the bishops. How far does this aim of Paul VI's new institution, which appears to be a perpetual continuation of Vatican II, differ from the traditional function of local synods and ecumenical councils throughout church history, end quote. Many of us have said a couple of things. One, that this is just a sort of de facto Vatican III, a sort of permanent Vatican Council going on forever, which he is alluding, which the interviewer alludes to here. And also, many of us have said that this approach to governing the church is just itself a clear break from apostolic tradition. There's simply no parallel to it in the entire history of the church. Yes, synods have existed prior to Vatican II, but not in this way. Bishop Athanasius provides some important insight and clarification to the question. Quote, The Synod of Bishops, instituted by Pope Paul VI in 1965 as a permanent structure or an advisory council of bishops, 
on the universal level of the episcopate was manifested throughout history in the practice of assemblies or synods for the aim of defending the integrity of the faith, morals, and discipline. Typically, they were held only when there was a real need, on the local, regional, and with the approval of the Pope, on the universal level. Our Lord Jesus Christ instituted Peter as the only supreme personal shepherd of his entire flock, including both clergy and faithful. Peter is also the only rock upon which Christ built his church. See Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. There are not two rocks or two supreme shepherds, i.e. a personal rock and on his side a collegial rock, or a personal supreme subject, shepherd, and on his side a collegial supreme subject, shepherd. Pope Leo XIII expressed the constant doctrine of the Church regarding this matter as follows, quote, We must note that the due order of things and their mutual relations are disturbed if there be a twofold magistracy of the same rank set over a people, neither of which is amenable to the other. But the authority of the Roman pontiff is supreme, universal, independent, that the bishops, that of the bishops limited and dependent. It is not congruous that two superiors with equal authority should be placed over the same flock. End quote. Now, Bishop Athanasius has more to say about this, and I will get back to it in a moment, but here I want to highlight something rather critical. The Synod of Bishops, any Synod, be it the current Synod on Synodality or the Amazon Synod or any of the rest of them, are a break from church teaching. The Synodal structure itself undermines the authority of the papacy, not of a particular pope in isolation, though that would be bad enough. It is an undermining of the papacy itself as an office, as the supreme office of the church. This is the era of collegiality, which is rooted in several movements rejected by the church over the course of history, all of which were undermining the authority of the supreme pontiff. The error of collegiality was rejected formally in the First Vatican Council in an infallible statement that reads as follows, quote, If anyone, therefore, should say that the Roman pontiff has only the office of inspecting or directing, and not the full and supreme power of jurisdiction over the whole church, not only in matters of faith and morals, but also in matters concerning the discipline and rule of the church throughout the world, or that he has merely the principal part and not the full plenitude of this supreme power, or that his power is not ordinary and immediate, whether over each and all the churches, or over each and all the pastors and faithful, let him be anathema. See De Ecclesia Christi, Canon 3. We, therefore, adhering faithfully to the tradition received from the beginning of the Christian faith, for the glory of God our Savior, for the exaltation of the Catholic religion and the salvation of Christian people, teach and define as a divinely revealed dogma that the Roman pontiff, when he speaks ex cathedra, that is, when discharging his office as pastor of all Christians in virtue of his supreme authority, he defines a doctrine concerning faith or morals to be held by the whole church. He then, by the divine assistance promised to him in blessed Peter, Enjoy, enjoys the infallibility by which the divine Redeemer wished his church to be endowed when defining a doctrine of faith or morals, and that therefore such definitions of the Roman pontiff are irreformable of themselves and not by the consent of the church. Wherefore, if anyone should presume to contradict, which God forbid, let him be anathema. See De Romani Pontificis Infallibili Magisterio, subsection 4, canon 4, end quote. Now, some may say that this isn't a bifurcation of the authority of the Pope, what Paul VI was doing. But Paul VI himself said that there was need to share authority in the church with the bishops. He attempted to go right up to that limit of what would be permissible in writing, and he did it in an ambiguous way, leading to more ambiguity in bishops ignoring orthodox teaching and ruling from popes since the council on all manner of issues has followed. That has just been undisputable. But Bishop Athanasius continues his thought on this. Quote, Cardinal Charles Journet gave the 
following ma masterly explanation, quote, the bishops taken collegially by virtue of a straight union participate in the universal jurisdiction, which remains in its own place in the sovereign pontiff. They jointly exercise with him the acts of the supreme jurisdiction. The supreme and universal jurisdiction resides entirely first in the sovereign pontiff. It communicates from there at the Episcopal College, which is united to him. A bit like life, which is first of all in the heart, communicates itself from there to the whole organism. It can be exercised either only by the sovereign pontiff, either by him in solidarity with Episcopal colleges dispersed in the world, the ordinary magisterium, or assembled in a council, a solemn magisterium. It is unique, but has two residences, one in the sovereign pontiff, the other participated in the episcopate taken collegially. It would be more precise theologically to speak of the different modes of the exercise of the one supreme power in the church, i.e. the personal mode by the pope alone, which is the ordinary way of governing the church, and the collegial mode, when the Pope formally associates to the supreme acts of governing and teaching also the College of Bishops. The Pope is not strictly bound to associate in a permanent way the College of Bishops in the acts of the supreme governance. Even though the Episcopate has a collegial character, according to the divine constitution of the Church, the Pope must be free to decide the modes, circumstances, and frequency of such collegial acts, which depends on historical circumstances and the concrete needs of the time, a teaching which claims there is on the side of the Pope another permanent subject of supreme power as a collegial organ, even though presided over and governed by the Pope, restricts in some way the freedom of the Pope and makes him feel obliged to permanently involve the entire episcopate in the supreme governing of the Church. The term synod, chosen by Paul VI, also contains some ambiguity, since the expression sacre synodus, sacred synod, is also an official designation of an ecumenical or general council." End quote. Ambiguity upon ambiguity. Now let's put this in the context of the German or Australian bishops. They clearly believe they possess governing power in the church as a body that is on par with that of the Pope, and thus they believe they can change the deposit of the faith they get with the times to fit the needs of the modern world. Or, to borrow a phrase from Vatican II, they believe they can open the windows of the church to the world and let some fresh air in in the form of new ideas that the world is promoting. It's insidious and a pernicious error, and we see it playing out with all promoting of Pastor Jimmy Martin's errors in both Germany, Australia, and, of course, other places in the world, too. Now, I'm going to skip ahead to what I consider to be the next critical question, which is about the following statement by Francis, which he gave in October of 2021, just six months ago. Quote, If we want to speak of a synodal church, we cannot remain satisfied with appearances alone. We need content, means, and structures that can facil facilitate dialogue and interaction within the people of God, especially between priests and laity. This requires changing certain overly vertical, distorted, and partial visions of the church, the priestly ministry, the role of the laity, ecclesial responsibilities, roles of governance, and so forth. End quote. The interviewer then states that this appears that Francis wants to undo, undo certain hierarchical aspects of the church. Bishop Athanasius responds and says that Francis has a different understanding of the church than the magisterium does. Think about that for a second. Quote, Such formulations of Pope Francis and the quotation of Father Yves Congar insinuate a substantial change in the understanding of church and of the life of the Catholic Church. It presupposes that the Catholic Church over the course of 2,000 years had a distorted and partial vision of the church, and that only with Pope Francis and the, quote, synodic way is the church able to arrive at a correct theological understanding of herself. 
The use of the words, quote-unquote, overly vertical by Pope Francis is ambiguous as well as tendentious. Something is vertical or it is not vertical. There cannot be something half vertical or one-quarter vertical. Such figures would be a distortion and a caricature of the natural meaning. When something is not utterly vertical, it loses its stability and becomes distorted. God established his church as a hierarchical body. The law of verticality is not observed in a body, i.e. if the command center of the brain is damaged or disregarded, then the body will suffer confusion and detriment. The criticisms of the principle of verticality in the body of the church, which Pope Francis is doing, is undermining the divine constitution of the church and amounts to yielding to the mundane spirit of competition between the members of a body, something about which St. Paul has warned us. In a body, there are, there are, in virtue of its natural constitution, substantially different parts. Some are more visible and responsible for governing, while others are more hidden and in need of governance. God gave to his church a clearly vertical constitution. Quote, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. See 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Regarding those whom God has appointed to positions of authority, Pope Leo XIII taught, quote, these then are the duties of a shepherd, to place himself as leader at the head of his flock, to provide proper food for it, to ward off dangers, to guard against insidious foes, to defend it against violence, in a word, to rule and govern it, end quote. See the encyclical Satis Cognitum, paragraph 12, which I have on this channel, end quote. So what did you think of the interview? If you want to read the full interview, check it out at Catholic Family News or through the link found in my show notes at the newly remodeled returntotradition.org. Please excuse our mess. It's a work in progress. But is Bishop Athanasius correct in his assessment that this is all rooted in a serious error from Vatican II? Or is the Synod of Bishops perfectly orthodox and he is the one in error? Or maybe something in between? Well, let me know your thoughts in the comments, please, and like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. And again, thank you to the patrons for your continued support of the work we do here at Return to Tradition. It is appreciated. As always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.